You're listening to a Fit Plus Love production. I believe the more we move, the more we are moved. The more I go out and move and I see the world and I go down a side street, as you noted in New York, the more I'm moved by what's really going on because we get into these neural pathways. And I think walking is a radical act of self-care, a really generous act. That was Libby Delano. This is Marnie Salop. Thanks for tuning into my podcast, Marnie on the Move. Each week, I will be inviting interesting, innovative, movers and shakers to join me on the show and share their story. You will discover and hear from thought leaders, experts, influencers, and entrepreneurs from the worlds of wellness, sports, beauty, fitness, fashion, and more. Marnie on the Move will feature an eclectic mix of people I know, work with, and think are generally doing cool things. On each episode, I sync up with my guests about life, career, and training, and showcase their expertise and story. Hello, and welcome to the Marnie on the Move podcast. I'm your host, Marnie Salop. Today on the podcast, I sync up with the talented and visionary Libby Delana. Ten years ago, Libby started a daily walking meditation. Today, she has walked the circumference of the earth. Pretty incredible, right? Libby is an award-winning executive creative director, designer, and art director who has spent her entire career in the advertising world. She was the design director at Mullen Lowe for 15 years. Then she went on to co-found the agency Mechanica. She is an advocate for female leadership, an aspiring pilot, a rookie fly fisher, and the author of Do Walk, her first published book that came out this year. During our conversation today, we sync up about the inspiration behind her walking meditation practice, the idea behind her book, and how walking has transformed her life. But before we get started, shout out to Marnie on the Move podcast sponsors, Inside Tracker. Inside Tracker is the ultra personalized nutrition platform that analyzes your blood, DNA, and lifestyle to help you optimize your body from the inside out. They are my go-to for understanding my inner health, looking at my blood levels, and getting great nutritional insight. Inside Tracker transforms your body's data into meaningful insights and a customized action plan of the science-backed recommendations you need to reach your goals. Take control of your health and wellness. Unlock the power of your potential. And use our code Cheers Marnie for 25% off. Now, back to our guest. During our conversation, Libby shares how walking is a creative practice, a way to experience the environment and wake up your senses, and also a way to find momentum. Libby does a deep dive into all of this in her new book, Do Walk. Walking is only one of Libby's many explorative and adventurous hobbies. During our conversation, Libby talks about her passion for fly fishing and flying. Of course, we chat about her long career in the advertising world and some of the great lessons she has learned along the way. P.S. In addition to buying her book, Do Walk, you definitely have to follow her on Instagram at parkhere. Her Instagram account is full of beautiful photos from her many walks and adventures, along with great motivational 
thought-inspiring quotes. If you like what you hear, leave us a review on Apple. It's easy. Head over to the Money on the Move podcast, click on the episodes, scroll through, click on five stars, click on leave a review, and tell us what you love about the episode you're listening to or about the podcast in general. Also, share what you're listening to on your social channels and tag us. Of course, don't forget, sign up for our newsletter, The Download. Now, on to my conversation with Libby. Thank you so much for being on the Marnie on the Move podcast, Libby. This is so awesome and great to meet you. Nice to meet you. I'm happy to be here. Thank you. You are welcome. So you were saying you were just in New York. You were at Chelsea Piers. What were you doing at Chelsea Piers? So at Chelsea Piers, let's see, it was a super secret, super fun photo shoot. So I spent my career behind the camera. And now I'm spending a little bit of time in front of the camera. Oh, cool. You were in front of the camera. Got it. I was in front of the camera. And the reason I'm even willing to do that, and I don't think I have any place there. That being said, I actually think it's important for us gray-haired women of a certain age. I'm 59. I'm really happy about that. Happy, Happy with my wrinkles. I think it's actually really wonderful to have that kind of representation on pages or build whatever it might be. So I, um, I really honestly just dabble in that when friends ask. So it's, um, <laughs> but that's the reason I was at Chelsea Piers. It was actually a gorgeous studio. Beautiful. Yeah. Let's talk about what you're doing right now. You have such a, an interesting career and you're so talented and you have this amazing new book out called Do Walk you walked the circumference of the earth. Did. Talk to me a little bit about your book and what inspired you to write this book and to start walking and do all the things that you did. Well, since I said I'm 59, about 10 years ago, I just left um, a 15-year, well, I hadn't left a career. I'd left a position at an incredible ad agency, which I absolutely adored, named Mullen Lowe. I was the director of design there and had left to co-found with two other colleagues, an agency of our own, which was fabulous, really fun. I always say it wasn't about leaving Mullen. It was just, you get to a certain place in your life, you're like, oh, I think I'd like to try that. I think I'd like to see if I could do that. Yeah. So at that time... You know, I think the world felt, for me anyway, as if it was, you know, it was filled with a lot of errands. It was filled with a lot of meetings. It was filled with a lot of conference calls. It was filled with a lot of needs for parenting. And there, and each one of those things is absolutely wonderful. There was right. no problem per se. It was that they were all sort of coming back to back. And what that meant was the day never felt as if there was space or time for me to kind of be internal. Now, at that time, the craze around meditation hadn't really taken off. I think, you know, if I were to start now, I probably would have started out with this practice. I would have called it a meditative practice. I just happened to be walking. But I decided, what I really realized was that the place where I am happiest is the outdoors. I feel comfortable there. I feel nourished there. I feel humbled there. I feel as if that's where kind of all my creative, many of my creative ideas uh, come from. So it was also a really healing place. So I just decided, having spent my high school and college years as an athlete, I rode, I played lacrosse, rode on the nationals, all this kind of stuff, 
that getting outside and doing something physical was the most nourishing thing I could do for myself. And so I just committed for 30 days. Every morning I was going to get up and go for a walk. Now, I'll just pause there because going for a walk, it took me a while to get over my ego as an athlete to say, just a walk. Like, what are you doing? And it was over the course of time, of course, that I realized it wasn't about working out. It really, in many ways, wasn't about exercise per se. It was about creating time and space to allow my to, to touch base with myself right essentially touch in it right. was um it became a meditative practice and um yeah i guess it was about 2 years ago at the end of uh 2019 i did a quick calculation in my head and i sort of realized oh wow you've walked close to 25,000 miles which is the circumference of the earth now just to be clear my practice is not about mileage it's not about speed it's not about measuring or data or analytics or counting every single step. And while there's nothing wrong with that, that just, you know, didn't happen to me, my practice, it was really just getting outside. And so here we are 10 years later, having done it every single day, each walk looks different, but um, it's kind of a really micro radical, radically simple transformative practice for me anyway having done it so long. I mean, you always share these words of wisdom, great insight or, you know, philosophies just on your Instagram park here, which is, you know, where your photos, where you're posting beautiful photos, I should say. Mm-hmm. Are you taking these when you're out on your walks? Or are you, do you get some of your inspiration from your walks? Yeah, so it's a great question. So I would say part of my practice when I first started out 10 years ago, Mm -hmm. um, being 49 in the ad industry is not the norm, right? Mm -hmm. It's a young person's game. And I knew that for myself, in order to understand and really instinctually know about social media, I had to use it. I'm not someone for whom I can think about a creative idea for a brand and then just know how in each media channel it should show up. So I thought, okay, well, Instagram's new. It's a visual medium. I'm actually, part of my practice is to take a picture every single day. And really it was not about, it had nothing to do with followers or anything like that. that. It was really an act of accountability. It became a daily journal. And I kept thinking, well, I don't want to break a streak. I've gone for a walk. I've taken a picture. They were horrible when I first started out. I mean, to be perfectly honest. But that being said, that practice enabled me to understand the world of social media, which I needed for work. It was an act of accountability. And I would say one of the most important things, which I would never have known until some time had passed, was going for a walk every single day at that pace as an art director, I actually learned how to see, not just look, like think of our life. We just, we go, we look at things, but at that pace, I began to really see things. Mm -hmm. I began, I would take a walk past this one barn over and over again. And every day, this is an obvious statement, but it looked different. It looked different because the light was different. The weather was different. My internal weather was different. And so to have that kind of element that I went past often and to realize, oh, I'm just looking at it. I'm not really seeing it actually nourished my art direction career. I began to, honestly, I I saw things completely differently. I thought I knew how to see. I was just looking. 
the practice was really about accountability and just journaling and logging each day. And then I have to say, you noted that I share quotes most days. And that really came from a place of insecurity, to be perfectly honest. I'm not a writer. In my industry, art director and copywriter work together. I've worked with, I think, some of the best. Um, You know, I always say I'm not a writer. I know writers. And what they do is a magical craft. That's not my craft. My craft is the visual craft. Right. So I honestly, in some ways, I got scared and I, you know, I would use other people's words to express uh, (laughs) what I'm feeling. But that being said, a a friend recently said, well, put your quotes and then also kind of tell us why you chose that quote, which I've just started doing. But I like it. It's been a really uh, interesting practice in in many ways, both visually and yeah, physically. I like that you say instead of just looking, it's like you're really seeing. It's like that's well said. Yeah. A dear friend of mine, Cheryl Strade, she wrote a beautiful book called Wild, and she talks about um, the thing about walking is you see the world at foot speed, right? And foot speed is, you know, quite honestly, more in keeping with the natural world. It's the way it's the way we move through our days and our neighborhoods, and what that means is. Um, yeah, we see things differently. We hear things. You know, in one part of the book, I talk about, you know, really tapping into all the senses. Yeah. You know, each walk has a, a fragrance, sometimes good, sometimes bad. Uh, but think of how provocative that can be. You walk through a pine forest or to this morning, I'm out here in California, we walk through this redwood forest. I'm like, oh my gosh, it just is so beautifully fragrant. And, um, you know, we don't often think about that as we go for a walk. And you're always, because you're always on the move or you're always going somewhere like from one destination to another. Yeah. Well, and also think about how important, well, walking is what makes us human. If we are able-bodied and uh, fortunate to be able to move like that through our world, it's what makes us human. It's also... I say that now it's sort of retreating. It is a component of the human experience. Again, if we are able-bodied. Right. And um, I, I, I think the thing about walking is that, you know, if we look at, for example, some of the, who, some of the people we revere as most creative or walking is the essential element to the creative experience. Virginia Woolf is thought to have been a great, a great walker. Steve Jobs. Think about pilgrims and protesters and yeah. activists. The act of walking um, is an incredibly um, powerful tool. It's an act of innovation. It's an act of protest. It's yeah. an act of pilgrimage. So it comes with um, the potential for quite a bit of meaning aside from getting from one place to the next. Yeah, I I really think that. And this past year, I mean, people who have never exercised have really started getting out and walking and moving. And I think especially in the world of athletics, it's often overlooked as something because everybody's got, it's a different energy than running or, you know, I know people that have walked the New York City Marathon. It's really cool. It's, I find it, walking is harder than running on my body sometimes what kind of shoes do you wear because I mean you're putting a lot of time on your feet so what what's your preference yeah so I walk about 10 miles every day so that's that's a lot I would say 
yeah, it's about two hours or so. Okay. I mean, it it varies, you know, when I travel and some, I always say a morning walk can be in the afternoon. It's kind of a mindset. So if Mm -hmm. I'm traveling or something, I'll go for a walk once I get to where I am. Um, It's a great place, great way to get grounded when you get into a new neighborhood. But in terms of shoes, I'm a super Hoka fan. I've worn Hoka's always, not always, most of these 10 years. Happen to wear bondies. I was going to ask. <laughs> yeah, favorite. those are the thickest yeah. ones. Yeah. Yeah, Hoka bondies. And the thing I do is I actually take out the insert and I put in my own inserts. Okay. Um, that are a little customized from my arch and so on. And the other thing I do is I write on, usually on the tongue or on the sole of the shoe, uh, the date when I first start wearing them. Ooh, because that's I, only, yeah. I only put, um, I, and some people say it should only be 500. I put 600 miles on my shoes and then I'm very disciplined about retiring them. And sometimes I'll have a little bit of a quiver. I'll have, you know, sort of rotate them because yeah. I'm not so sure when you put that many miles on, if something's a little off. So what I often do is have, um, you know, an older pair and then maybe get a new pair. And, you know, so I, I, I sort of have a quiver going. I also yeah. like the Cajas, which are their uh, low sort of more hiking depending on the you know terrain, where, what the yeah. terrain is yeah. but um, I find that putting the date on and sort of keeping keeping track of how many miles is a really important tool for preventing injury but I also say for me anyway putting a, a an insert taking out that the one insert and putting in the right. other is helpful I also tend to buy them half a size up um, because when I walk a lot feet tend to expand and get bigger and and, and then in the winter, I get them a full size up because I'm wearing two pairs of socks and I often have a toe warmer oh, in the toe. Oh, that's so smart. I never even thought of that. That's a great idea. Yeah. So this year I got, I got socks that are heated, but I have to say they aren't 100% reliable and it's too scary to me to go out and have one, you know, the heated socks not work when it's honestly like five below. So I actually use the little um, hot toe inserts. What are these heated heated socks? Because I have wanted those. Yeah. (laughs) Heated or waterproof. Both pairs of socks would be great for me, not together. Yeah. So the, I can't remember the name of the heated socks, but they have a little plug and a hot wire at the toe. You plug them in at night and put them on. And when they work, they are awesome. But I've had a few, one too many hiccups where I'm out and it's really cold and stormy. That's not good. One sock. So actually now what I do is I always keep the heat little, you know, those little d- disposable. Yeah, I keep them in my pocket in case something goes south because one time I went out and one heated sock didn't quite work and it was not good. <laughs> in addition to walking, I mean, adventure is in your DNA. And since we're talking about yes. socks and going out into a storm, you also do fly fishing. I do. So yeah, what, talk I, to me about that. Cause I find that to be such a cool and interesting, is it a sport? It's a good question. A hobby, a thing, a passion, a meditation. Yeah. yeah. A love affair, I think. So I'm very fortunate. I have some really dear friends who are incredible adventurers and have skills I don't have. So honestly, about five years ago, couple of friends called and said, Hey, we're, we're heading out to Oregon to go steelheading. You want to come? And, um, I had always sort of, I mean, it's such a romantic sport, right? It's so gorgeous. I will say visually as an art director, it's like fly fishing is heaven on earth. And so I just said, yes. And I didn't know what I was doing. I was able to borrow gear 
And we went out and we had an extraordinary time. It poured rain. It was absolutely, in some ways, beautifully miserable, meaning it was perfect for fishing, but, you know, the water seeping in all over the place. And we're always, you know, it's just um, barbless hook, keep them wet, let them go. The release is so beautiful. It's a real privilege. So I think it's another one of those things where being outside with friends I will say, I don't really mean this to be gendered, but it's, I guess, my experience, which is I love fish, love fishing with women. Oh my gosh. Our experience. We've also been to Alaska. We've been to, we've That's been to Montana. Cool. Wow. This, this yeah. group I know and doing fly outs and fishing with bears right there. I have to say the way we show up and again, that's not to say that it's binary by any means, but our experience is we don't keep track of how many fish we caught. We don't keep track of how big they were. <laughs> we stop at four in the afternoon with our jet boils and make a cup of tea. We lie down and we eat chocolate. And we, excuse my language, we fucking dance after every fish. We literally, we dance. We yeah. all dance. Like, awesome. <laughs> yeah. So it's really, you know, it's another reason to be outside. Here's the thing about fly fishing. It's rarely in a place that isn't absolutely gorgeous. So yeah. I wish I had started when I was about 13 years old because there's so much to learn. There's so much geology, biology. Every river has its own sort of, you know, ecosystem of bugs and hatches. And it, I mean, it's a really beautifully rich, deep, complicated, complicated, not in a bad way. There's just so much to learn <laughs> aside from the actual rhythm of casting. So it's pretty, pretty lovely <laughs> experience. So you were doing all of this after you left your corporate job yeah. and yeah. went to start your own agency. So what were you doing when you were working in corporate America? Like were, what were some of your adventure hobbies, things like that? Nothing that would be particularly unique other than I have extraordinary wanderlust. I'll go anywhere with any bear else and anytime, yeah. you know, I'll sleep on the side of a river, I'll hike with you in the snow. So um, I'm fortunate, as I said, to have really um, advent great adventure buddies. So uh, anything outdoors, I'm willing to try. Um, I guess uh, to answer your question at that time, you know, my kids were of a certain age that what I was doing was probably more focused around their act, outdoor activities. So that's a beautiful thing of, of having them grow up is more space and time to nurture your own yeah. <laughs> thing. Where were some of the places that you were taken for work? Like, were there any just like really incredibly oh. places, incredibly amazing places that you've gone for work that... Oh my gosh. Um, the answer is yes. We could talk about this in an entire podcast. I mean... I was fortunate to work with some really incredible brands, including Eddie Bauer, L.L. Bean, BMW. I mean, Rolls Royce was incredible. One of my favorite shoots. Um, oh, there was one in Copenhagen that was amazing. Montana, Hawaii, the top of, you know, Mauna Kea, which was incredible. Um, I will say that probably the most epic one, um, and it's actually when I really fell in love with flying, was um, we were shooting on the top of the glacier at, Wait at Whistler. It was the only place in North America where there was snow. And we were shooting for a holiday campaign or something. We were shooting for a month. And the way we got to the glacier was by helicopter. So we commuted every day with this incredible heli pilot. Um, and I will say about a week in, I thought, hmm, I think maybe I want to become a helicopter pilot. It was so thrilling, but we'd, we'd heli up, we'd shoot all day, we'd come back down. So 
Yeah, everywhere from the top of Mauna Kea, which is at 14,000 feet, yeah. where there's an incredible telescope to Copenhagen to Yellowstone. I mean, it, it, I mean, I guess that career is something that is great to have a insatiable wanderlust appetite for. <laughs> yeah. And then you, so speaking of flying, you've been taking lessons. I've been taking lessons. So when I was 13, I read a book called West with the Night, which was about one of the first women pilots over in Africa. She was friends with Isaac Dennison, and there were two of them were flying all around the continent. And I remember reading that in my little beautiful suburban home and thinking, oh my gosh, I kind of want to do that. And I had incredibly supportive parents. If I had said it out loud, I'm sure I probably would have figured out some way to have begun to do that. I just never said it out loud, you know, um, but in the last four or five years, I was like, I, that's something I still really want to do. And when right. we went to Alaska, actually, to to fish, you know, we do these flyouts to get up in the morning, get into the little seaplane, fly out to a really remote part of the, to a beautiful remote river. And um, so I thought, you know, where I live, there's a um, airstrip literally two miles away. We fly little Cessna 172s. There's a grass landing field. My intention was that in 2020, I was going to actually go to Florida or North Carolina and spend a week at flight school, but then that all went south, right. of course. So yeah. kind of ramping that back up. But uh, yeah, it's, it, you know, here's the thing about flying. The, pers- the perspective, not unlike walking, that you get from flying is really, it's really beautiful and profound. You feel so insignificant. And I think those humbling moments in life are in important, are important. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, I, I like, does it help you with understanding? Like, do you love flying? Like in general, did you always love flying or being on a plane or are you like actually flying? I don't mind being in big commercial jets. It's fine. It, I, I don't have the same kind of emotional response as right. actually flying. Yeah, I love it. And again, I live in a place that's exquisitely gorgeous. I think it would be different if I were flying over, you know, ground that wasn't so glorious. I mean, I'm half a mile from the Atlantic Ocean. We fly up and down, you know, get a little close to to Logan and Boston and they yeah. are like, eh, time to turn back. So and we go up around the White Mountains. So it's pretty it's a pretty beautiful place. That's awesome. And you're also, you're super busy with work too, right? I mean, you started your own agency, a different kind right. of agency. So talk to me a little bit about your company and what you're doing now. Like yeah, besides so, the book. Yeah. Yeah. So um, yeah, I started started Mechanica with two really wonderful colleagues that we, we all knew each other at Mullen. Mm-hmm. And so 16 years ago, started an agency called Mechanica which was sort of founded on a different kind of model. It's actually absolutely the norm now, which is to say that um, agencies didn't have to have all the creative um, talent in-house in order to execute against a great idea. So it's it's an incredible privilege, A, to start a company, B, to start a company with people you know and care for deeply, and, you know, it's been through some ups and downs. I am no longer at Mechanica, so off doing an entirely new thing. It's a new chapter. Yeah. Um, free range uh, ECD, which is lovely. And um, what I've really focused on since the pandemic started is taking, you know, everything I've learned in that world and really applying it to the nonprofit space. So right. as things 
things really started to get difficult for nonprofits this past year. Uh, partnered with an organization, dear friend, um, called the Purpose Collective, and we decided that we would offer what we called free office hours. Anybody could sign up, and if you were purpose-driven or nonprofit, you could send us what you were working on. We would uh, do a little bit of an audit and spend an hour with you, giving you thoughts, suggestions, ideas, what we've seen elsewhere. And we talked to probably close to 100 organizations from around the world. And I will say it was incredibly satisfying. And, you know, lots of really um, grateful partners in that process who I know it mattered. And so it's really nice to go from, as you mentioned, that kind of corporate space yeah. to um, applying what I know to different kinds of organizations. So it's great. What kind of advice would you give to a founder, an entrepreneur, sort of like how you're advising these non-for-profits organizations yeah. to be prepared to work with an art director or to art direct their own stuff? Like what do brands need to know? Like what are some things that you should think about before you start on an entire campaign? Yeah, great question. Well, number one, know who your audience is. And the narrow, more narrow your audience, the better, because you can actually speak to that person, that that element, you know, that specific component. Um, so know your audience and you can't say all women over 50. It's, it's yeah. not, you will not speak to anybody that way. So the more precise you can get, be really clear about that and then be really disciplined about knowing who and the messaging that you want to share. So take any brand right now, take Coca-Cola, right? They know their audience mm -hmm. really clearly and they also know the one message that they want to share. Happiness. It's happiness. Right. It's not about the drink, really. It's about the feeling the drink gives you. And I think what happens with most founders is, and it's it's totally reasonable, is you want to tell people everything, right? Like, I want to tell you everything. Well, so in my case, I'm an art director and I walk, period. Right. right? I don't that that That's how I want to be known. I know who my audience is. And so all the other things are really tertiary. And so I would say it's get as precise as you possibly can with your audience. Um, if you just look at it, uh, this is sort of funny language, but if you get come, if you understand that through a media lens, if you say your audience is really big, all women over 50, there's no way you will have enough time, um, messaging, let's call it media dollars to get to enough people. But if I can say I, my audience is women over 50 who have a propensity to walk, mm -hmm. who know what that, now I can really narrow down and actually connect with somebody. So know your audience and be really, really simplified and precise about your message. Everybody wants to say too much. The other thing in terms of messaging is make sure you talk about the other person. The most important thing you can say is how you how you'll be impacted by going for a walk. Sure, I can tell you my impact. I hope I can get you excited. Yeah. But the most, the most important thing is you, how you will feel, how you will feel after drinking. A, I hate using Coca-Cola. I don't even drink it. <laughs> but it's a brand everybody knows. <laughs> yeah, it's a brand everyone knows. But I think that's yeah. a, like an important thing to think about because, you know, from and communicating that visually, that is, yeah. and especially like for me, that's the biggest challenge, right? It's, yeah. It's, it's being able to separate what I personally like visually and what visually represents my brand. So yeah. I find myself 
always in the space when I'm creating because I'm I'm doing a lot of my own creative yeah. over here in the yeah. Marnie on the Move enterprise. Yeah, it's great. So my, you know, my suggestion would be actually, if you can, somebody you can talk it out with and yeah. say, here are my three pillars, right? Here are the three important pillars. Now, let's be honest, after some, at some point, you're going to get tired of those three pillars, mm -hmm. but here are the three pillars I'm going to talk about over and over. And let's, let's brainstorm a few ways that that can come to life visually. And then let's just stay on track for yeah. the next six months and year. Yeah. And, um, yeah, that's great advice. Do you have any like sage wisdom philosophies that you've gleamed over the years from having your own business, working in an agency and doing all the things you do? Yeah, it's great. So um, I think in terms of work is um, and it sort of connects to walking is get quiet and get really clear about what's essential yeah. for you. Um, you know, where, where is it that you're nourished? Where is it that there's friction? How much, you know, there's friction always in any job or career, how much are you willing to tolerate? So I think a lot of it is internal work. How can you, how can you be clear with yourself about where you want to be and how you want to work? Um, I would also say, um, I always tell people create your own board of directors, Mm. So find three, four people who you trust, who are have different perspectives, who have different kinds of careers, but maybe you're parallel and ask them to be on your board of directors and maybe say it's a one year position and I'm only going to reach out to you quarterly. Yeah. And what I'm going to do is send you ahead of time. We're going to have a, an hour conversation quarterly. I will send out to you an agenda of things that I'm working on that I'm thinking about. And then in that hour, I would love your thoughts. I would love your feedback. I'd love your notes. And um, I think formalize, I think people do this often, but I think yeah. formalizing it and potentially having a goal for the year and you choose your board of directors based on that goal who can support you and challenge you, I think is really useful. I had this advice given to me about a decade ago and I think I, I think I've done that pretty well for the last 10 years. That's and, amazing. And be, yeah. And be, and be really upfront with the people you're asking. Um, right. And it's not too much time, but you know, your advice is meaningful and, and make it very professional and very formal, right? Like yeah. I'm not just going to call you and we're going to chit chat. There's an agenda. I have a goal. I need your support and then potentially move on. Wisdom and um, advice that I've learned from walking is, um, for me, I believe the more we moved, uh, the more we are moved. So the more we move, the more we are moved. The more I go out and move and I see the world and I go down a side street, as you noted in New York, the more I'm moved by what's really going on because we get into these neural pathways. And so that's that. Um, I think walking is a radical act of self-care. I think it's um, a really generous act. I think for entrepreneurs, energy creates energy. True for walking, two for running. So energy creates energy. And then you know, we sort of have this kind of, it's not really a mantra, but it's sort of like feet on the ground, eyes to the sky. So keep, stay grounded, but dream big. Yeah. Look to the sky, you know, go flying. Try something you've never done before. And at the same time, try and keep your feet really grounded so you know who you are. So it's this duality of, staying firm to who you are and, mm -hmm. and at the same time allowing your your dreams to to soar so I think 
that might be it. <laughs> That's awesome. And now what are you doing in California right now? Are you on vacation? Nice. Thank you for asking. So we just had this exquisite um, walking event, which we call Walk With Me, which was um, really conceptually created by my dear friend, Anna Buselink, who's mm -hmm. an incredible human being, coach, and she is... Um, she is at a beautiful winery. She's an owner of a winery called Campa Vida. It's beautiful up in Hopland, California. And they're doing amazing things up there. And she really came up with this beautiful idea of why not host an in real life walking event where we invite some people to the property and um, have, a, have a little walk and then talk. So we went for a beautiful walk. Then nice. Cheryl Strait and I had a sort of back and forth. And it was all to benefit a really dear friend of ours named Maggie Doyne, who, look her up, she's CNN Hero of the Year 2016, honored by the Dalai Lama. She's an incredible human being. So it was a wonderful event. I would say the most powerful thing, most powerful feedback I received, however, was from somebody who said, what's really clear is how much you women care for each other. Yeah. So Anna, Maggie, Cheryl, and there are a couple others there who, and I, you know, there's a lot of conversation about how women don't support each other, which I don't really see that often, but this was an overt act of, of love and care for each other. And um, so I came here to do that. Oh, I'm that's home. beautiful. It sounds like a really awesome event. It was. And we're going to do some more um, on the East Coast. Oh, cool. Using, using Anna's model of, uh, you know, sort of gratitude, movement together, conversation. Well, this has been so awesome. Yeah, no. And, you know, if anybody's interested, I have a website that's thismorningwalk.com. And, you know, the, the events are posted there. And, and I would say, really, if I can, if we collectively can inspire somebody to go for a walk, even just every now and then, I think there's a lot of uh, a lot of beauty embedded in it. So thank you for having me. You are welcome. Thanks again for tuning in to Marnie on the Move. If you like what you hear, leave us a five-star review in Apple Podcasts. Follow us on social at Marnie on the Move for Facebook and Instagram and Marnie Salop on Twitter. Head over to our website, MarnieOnTheMove.com for more info on this episode, links in the show notes, and of course, sign up for our quarterly newsletter, The Download, to get updates, deals, giveaways, and information on future events for 2019. I want to hear from you. Email me, MarnieOnTheMove1 at gmail.com and let me know what you're enjoying what you want to hear more of. If you have questions for our guests, just reach out. <laughs>